Um, I'm probably, I've been meaning to do a kind of video like that for a while anyway. I don't think I can actually record it because like, I'm not, I'm no legal expert, but you know, I don't want to get myself or anybody else in the hot water. So I'm probably just going to be inspired from my last day to make a video. <laughs> um, so we'll probably go over that, but, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of some creative, uh, creative ways to, you know, go out with a real bang, uh, <laughs> that no, I I mean part of part of me is the the depressing thing is that morale is so bad at this company that I'm kind of just hoping like it's gonna stir up enough like lulls that it'll give like a temporary morale boost because everybody is just oh my god they're just it's that standard like the job's hard it sucks and you're getting shitty pay like. Most of my jobs have been like, it's hard, it sucks, pays great. And it's like, okay, well, that pays great, balances it out. Right. But when you're stuck in a position where the pay shit, and then it's got all that other stuff on top, you're just like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people watching this can relate, but, you know, I call it the, uh, the Sunday blues, if you will. <laughs> when, like, you're so miserable at work that, you're just hanging on to every moment of your weekend, like every single one. It's like midnight on Sunday and you're just like, okay, how can I squeeze out another like 20 more minutes of enjoyment before I got to wake up and go back to this hell? That's been, uh, it's been my life for the last year. And, um, hopefully it isn't love having a wooden desk. Mm. Hopefully it isn't uh, moving forward, but the only difference is, I'll be getting paid good for it. <laughs> so okay. even if it is, even if it is a dumpster fire round two, at least, uh, at least I'll be getting paid good. And Jesus Christ, I don't, I, I, I'm still blown away by the benefits. Like they got like so many crazy perk things that'll actually be beneficial. Like fuck pizza parties. And what was the other one? Like we got ping pong in our office. Right. Because, video like, games. Anyone's ever going to, like that performative bullshit. It's like, okay, well, what am I going to go play some like gold mine on my break? Or am I going to like, am I going to like have a snack or a coffee and like talk to my significant other or whatever? Nobody's going to go play gold mine for 15 minutes, sir. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, and and by the way, nobody ever used those fucking games in the in in the office except like during events. Never like, like company like events when nobody was working. That was really the only time I ever saw anybody ever turn one of those machines on. Was like when there was like a, a, a like a big company hangout, like a, a a happy hour type of thing, and then there's a bunch of people in the conference room playing on on there. Like, okay. That's what you needed to start no, to start like stupid. It's completely performative. It's always been completely performative. It's just an empty gesture that they can just have sit there. They they can probably write off. Um, mm -hmm. That it's like it's the whole liberal persona. We're pretending to be a good person and giving grand gestures that ultimately amount to fuck all because we're still gonna underpay you. We're gonna exploit you and we're gonna work you to the bone to the point where your mental health suffers that's pretty much kind of like where we're at here um the last office job i have this is kind of funny um not only did nobody touch um we had a uh we had like an xbox 
in there. Right. Not only did nobody touch the Xbox, but the one time someone actually did play Xbox on their break, there was like a stigma. Like people were weirded out by Right, it. like, oh my god, that guy's playing games. Really? Like that guy's playing games? I don't like, yeah, that's why I they put it in the goddamn office. And then the one time somebody does play it, they look at him funny. I totally get that. Oh my god. <laughs> I would have been one of those yeah, guys looking at him funny, he, bro. Yeah. You know why? Because deep down, everybody knows it's performative. It's just decoration. It's just like there's not there's no weight behind it. It's not saying like go play some video games on your break. It's saying this is a symbol that we're good employers. That's all that fucking means. That's all that's ever meant. The same thing with the pizza parties and all that. It's just little tricks to make you appreciate your employer the same way like an abuser gets you to like. It tricks you into thinking like, you know, you'll be lost without them. It's what, it's the what about the nap? Uh, see, I, I equate it to like Google with the nap pods. Have you, are you really, they're really encouraging you to sleep there, even take a nap for an hour and a half in between meetings. Really? Oh, okay. So I, br- I brought, tra- yeah, it's a trap for workaholics at best. Uh, I brought this in tribute for you this week. I, I think you sent this, but I'll be able to come in here. Oh, shout out to John Candy, but really coming in on Monday, boss. Yeah. Okay, when are you again? Tuesday. I think. I think that is that Uncle Buck. Is that what that's from? I, I think that. I might don't have been. remember. I think that might have been from Uncle Buck. Um, dude, just so great. But that that might be what I would do on my last day. It would be it would be to call in. I'd get everything ready on Thursday and be like, guys, I'm not coming in. Fire me. I might actually, I don't know, because, like, the thing is, like, I technically start on a Wednesday, so I'm getting, like, a four-day weekend, but I'm tempted to, like, just not, I'm tempted to make it, like, five days off (laughs) and just be like, yeah, sorry, guys, I came down with, uh, don't give a fuck 19, um, I just tested positive, (laughs) and I'll... And I'll give them a picture of like a COVID test and it's just a middle finger. Like I'll, I'll PNG that right on there. Right. Um, like put the middle finger right where, right where the red line would be. Holy shit. That'd be so funny. Uh, so we, we talk a lot about LinkedIn here. It's going to be great. We talk a lot about LinkedIn. So we, I found this on oh, Instagram yeah. and I don't know, you know, in, Instagram, they serve you whatever you watch. So I've been seeing more and more of these and they're great. So this one's really funny. And I think that we all know people like this. So this is, if you go on LinkedIn. This is going to be good, y'all. Wow. Wow. Let's connect. Each setback is an opportunity for comeback. Fraud. you the person you don't know at all Dude, that 
was it. Were you interested in a janitorial position in Nebraska? So good. Open to work. Oh, so good. That is glorious. Oh my god. 60 seconds through so LinkedIn. True. Like, like LinkedIn has just become such like it's become such a it's become such a clown world. Like every time I logged in, log in, it's just all this weird, like bizarre behavior. Not to mention, like, I feel like everybody self-censors way too much still. I think moving forward, I'm just going to, like, use my LinkedIn account to just call out shitty companies. Just every <laughs> post is just going to be a fuck you to that company. Just be know. like, yeah, this company's shit. This company's shit, too. <laughs> like, might as well. Um, or I'll make another LinkedIn snow himbo, and I'll just call them all out. That'd be fun. Call them out on their shit. So... You said something about that you were going to start messing around. And I remember you said that this was your first note of the week. And I literally was drinking my coffee. Really had to work hard to not do a spit take. And um, I said, oh, my God, your CRM administrators are going to kill you because I was one at one point. That was the first the first place my head went after laughing at the comment was the CRM. Oh, my God, the CRM, because I'm a dork. Um, yeah, that's that that went right into the notes tab of Zendesk, y'all. <laughs> that's awesome. Did a real big come. Yeah, I love it. I'm gonna come. I wish I had that on the on the soundboard now. Um, one other thing I brought here. Um, this is a, a friend of mine on Facebook that met. He's a, a lefty, Ethan, uh, and he's also looking for a gig, and it's been really tough. And we found a new fan of the show, so shout out to Ethan if you're watching. Hey, thanks, man. Good to connect. And I asked him for permission to use this here tonight, so we do have his permission, where he posted, job recruiters will call you three times a day for a week until the client chooses someone else, and then you can't get a call back at all for a week or two. And that is or you pretty much get a call back at all. <laughs> pretty much pretty much how, how it is. Um and that's a lot of fun. So so we know we know that's going on. And then um, this, speaking of nobody wants to work anymore, I was reading this thread of somebody that I know on LinkedIn, and certainly right in the middle of the thread, you've got to have, there's always one. We have a problem with people who want to work. Uh-huh. This is literally another version of nobody wants to work anymore. And, yep. and, then they literally use this whole nobody wants to work anymore. There's a whole graphic that clipping headlines going back to the early 1900s. Every few years, somebody all, always posts one of these mainstream you know, corporate papers always posts about nobody wants to work anymore. But this image makes me laugh because people have been saying that for years. Personally, I don't think the problem is people don't want to work, but people have been burned by employers who want their employees to do a million dollar job with minimum wage pay and benefits. Yes. Yep. Now the guys that, Bars. That, that, Bars. that put, yeah, it's now the reason why, and I will say that um, Kyle who posted this originally, um, I know Kyle. So Kyle had put up that for the first time, 
four different companies have contacted him about uh, people needing needing to fill positions. And he said, it's in finance and sales and across the board. And nobody's, I've never had that many companies come to me. It's like, how come they can't fill these positions? I can tell you. So it's not because here's the funny thing. It's capitalists are always and their and their enablers are always going to be like, well, it's because people are lazy, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be the first one to say this to everybody. OK, if you're getting paid poverty wages and work to the bone, you're allowed to be lazy. I'm tired of people being feeling like, oh, I don't want to be perceived as lazy. You know what? If I'm making if I'm not if I'm putting eight hours of my day possibly more of my life, which is not infinite into making some other fucker money. You know what? I don't care if I'm lazy or not. If, 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 if I'm putting the majority of my waking hours into working a job and at the end of the week, I'm still worrying about financial shit. Suddenly I don't really give a fuck about work ethic. I'm sorry. Cause the problem is I'm being exploited to begin with. So everybody's got to drop this attitude where it's like, oh my God, like, I don't want to be perceived as lazy. It's not lazy. Don't even use that word anymore. Flip it around. Be like, I don't have any incentive. I don't, I'm not motivated. That's so literally, like that. you know, it's, it's so funny not. you say that. Because I was having a conversation with Reef, our buddy Reef Breland over at Indie News Network, INN. Go check him out. Um, just like a half an hour ago, right before we started recording this, and I said, you know, it's almost, I almost feel like it's Office Space. And I'm like, we, we should almost change the name of the, the show to Office Space because I don't know, man. I think that the sense that the office, the censors might come get, you know, the copyright. We had a whole argument about that, but, but literally, I mean, that's, that's what this reminds me of. Uh, while, while you're saying that, I'm thinking office space. And just, yeah, um, the, the scene where, where Peter's like, yeah, you know, I'd do more, but, you know, you guys just start like that. You're literally Peter now. And I love it. Yep. You're talking to the bobs. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I did want to shout out that this is someone. Go, go ahead. And this is someone who's been a workaholic for many, many years, always gave it 200%, always stayed late, always hyper-focused on, um, you know, the task at hand and going above and beyond. I'll be the first one to admit that part of that was because subconsciously I was like, man, this is so much dopamine. Just keep fucking going. This is great. <laughs> but uh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but um, I will say that this is coming from a workaholic who finally in my thirties, I realized, you know what? It doesn't matter how hard you work. They're going to exploit you. You got to set your boundaries and you got to say, you know what? I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be this like cog in the company that you guys can milk for all these extra profits. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking about me and everybody well, not, else. Not without paying for it. That stands. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. If you wanna, if you wanna pay me two hundred k a year, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do whatever. I will do whatever. Um, oh, you, you see, everybody's got a price. Everybody's got a price, like the million dollar man used to say when I was a kid. Um, this person did also 
point out how Kyle and Paul, who run a company called Automotive State of the Union, it's an ad agency. They also do other cool stuff. Uh, but they are, they also made a, a TV show. It almost kind of like us, only a whole lot more professional and, and like a real agency production. They decided that they were going to create a TV show called More Than Cars. I'm a big fan of, of these guys. Um, and what More Than Cars is, they've only had a couple episodes, but they're trying to showcase that there are actually people in the automotive industry that work in dealerships and spotlight their journeys, how they ended up working there, why they continue to work there, what they think is great about it, some of the challenges. Um, and it's it's really, it's PR for people who work in car dealerships because there is this awful stigma about a car salesman, but there's all different roles of people that work in the car dealership that end up getting this awful stigma because of the people that deal that they deal with in the service department at times that can be rough or tell them that they have to have an expensive part replaced or the expensive servicing that may be more than they have. And then you deal, you deal with the traditional reputation of, of car salesmen. So I really like what these guys do because they really do believe in the people. Uh, sounds corny as it may sound. I've met these guys personally and they're, they're not, not bad dudes and they're, they're capitalists. Well, no problem saying that they're, they are capitalists. They're, certainly in it to, to earn some cash and that's okay, sort of. But um, but they also do a lot to give back to the people and they are focused not just on profit, but what they realize is that if you focus on people and experience, the money comes. Um, so that was my little soapbox on the nobody wants to work anymore thing. Now, we also have... This fucking guy. <laughs> All right, the Gurner Group. I, I'm just gonna. Pre- I'm just gonna preface this by saying this is not a real person. This is a fucking lizard. Okay, you can even see that's that's obviously like he's not even proportioned properly. That is a lizard in human skin. Do not think this is a human being. That motherfucker. People were making fun of him. That motherfucker. Him that motherfucker is not real that motherfucker is not real dude the chick on the plane that's who she was talking about he was trying to talk her up on a plane that's the guy so I'm convinced this is a one minute and 11 second clip in which he says that the um workers have become arrogant since covid and we've got to kill that attitude more nobody wants now this is more in the work from home stuff that we've been talking about but check this out i think the problem that we've had is that we've yeah, we, we have people decided they didn't really want to work so much really anymore through COVID, and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years, and we need really? to see that change. We need to see... Because productivity is in an all-time high, right? 40 50%, in my view. Each we need to see shit. pain in the economy. We need to remind oh people God. that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a... <laughs> There's been a systematic Sorry. change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them um, as opposed to the other way around. So mm-hmm. it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude. Yeah, they do work for the employer, but you know what? The economy, They're the ones what that the generate global, wealth you know, the, for the, the employer. It's fucking parasite. You Unreal. fucking leech. 
you absolutely i swear to god if this doesn't make you immediately google diy guillotine i don't know what will because mm-hmm. well, fucking great there's another 20 <laughs> seconds this whole attitude trying to increase unemployment Sorry. to get that to some sort of normality and we're seeing it i think you want to increase unemployment there is definitely massive layoffs going off people normality might not be talking about it but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to yeah see less over a hundred thousand workers in, in tech this year because that will cascade across the cost balance okay so this guy this asshole so what this asshole is he's got to be some kind of a vc guy now i've actually been reading about this a little bit on on linkedin from some of the people that are revenue experts um and what they've been talking about with this asshole is that they decided during pandemic that things were going to go up on an upward trajectory and never have a downward, any kind of downward tick. So as things continued to get better and momentum came out of COVID, they did not, they, they overhired and overpaid while they were overhiring because there was a market glut of, of employees in the summer, in the spring and summer of 2022. Then everybody realized, oh shit, I can go get a new job for a whole lot more money, uh, a higher base salary, a higher OTE. And then the hammer came down because the financiers realized, oh, we're not going to make the sales that we're going to make, which means that we have to figure out a way to cut back on the pay plans, which means that aren't people aren't going to be making a quota as much and living off of salary. And oh shit, they're making too much salary. We've got to start laying people off because we got to get rid. We got to shed salary and overhead. That is the spiral that he's talking about. But he's blaming it on the employees, not on the decision makers that overhired and decided to overpay for the overhires. That was not course, the fault of the employees. On top of the fact that you know these guys are a going to be just fine if something happens tomorrow. To the company, they have no qualms about walking away and cutting you, but are expecting you to dedicate all of your time and your life to an asshole like this. In the end, um, fuck this guy, fuck this guy bad. That's what. That's what. Um, that's what pisses me off about uh, capitalist cultists when they talk about like. A system more like the workers own the means of production. They're just like, so should the workers also take all the losses when the company fails? And I'm like, holy fuck. Do you guys not understand that's exactly what layoffs are? That's right. literally what they are. Well, Someone while the CEO the gets paid. Food on the table. Yeah, while the CEO is just fine. And you're sitting here and you're like, won't somebody please think of the rich people? Like, oh my God. We're so we're, fucked. We're so propagandized. Well, what what you also like, saw was that during pandemic, a lot of these big CEOs, I cut my salary down to $1 a year. Yes, but you still had stock options and you were still making millions for the last three or four years. It ain't like your family's going to be hurting. Now, nobody, you know, these guys all do set themselves up with big overhead and big costs, but they also have huge, massive reserves and massive Retirement plans on top of it, 401ks and IRAs that they never even touch. That's untouchable. They won't even consider 
dipping into that ever. Okay, paying the penalty that it, that's required. Most people, A, don't even have one. But if they do, quite often they're having to dip into that while they're on unemployment to just maintain themselves. Um, and you've seen that quite meanwhile, a bit. The mid- meanwhile, the majority of people in North America, if they miss one paycheck, they're fucked. Um, I mean, yeah. One emergency, they're fucked. Um, so, yeah, you can virtue signal what you like about how you reduced the amount of money you're bringing in but you're still still sitting there living comfortably never never having to worry about being laid on a bill never having to worry about like how am i gonna make rent this month never having to worry about like for example having a talk of like oh my god what if one of our pets gets sick well we'll never be able to afford the vet bill so we're just gonna have to put them down um which are real conversations that happen in real working class families. I know mm-hmm. because I've had them myself. Yeah. So they're sitting up there saying, we're sacrificing so much. They're still living a hundred times better than you. They wipe their ass with the finest prosciutto in the deli aisle. <laughs> yes, Ew. they certainly do. And it's very thinly sliced. That's not a, so I'm really sorry for that visual y'all. Cause I personally love prosciutto. Um, okay. Ew. So, I wanted to start getting into, wow, Um, that's a transition. So we were talking earlier a little bit about the UAW and what's been happening with the, that 97% of the members authorized a strike. We've been predicting that the members, that that the union would not go on strike across the board, that they would not put 150,000 members out on strike and give them all $500 a week strike pay. Um, So in the lead up to this, uh, well, actually, you know what, before we do that, I want to start by showing the tweets that I have made over the last few weeks that show the receipts to show that, A, we've known for weeks that UAW president Sean Fain was having weekly or more frequent talks with Joe Biden and that workers need to prepare to get screwed, then gaslit the corporate media, telling everyone that it was a record-breaking win for workers. And this is based upon what happened to the UAW and uh, the, the UPS and the Teamsters a couple weeks ago. All right. Then I, I noted that this could be also seen as a shot across the bow at UAW. Now, what had happened was Um, The Biden administration announced that they were going to potentially offer an EV contract to the Hyundai plant in Alabama, which would have thereby been shooting revenue in the end back to Korea, where Hyundai's parent resides. And there would have been a huge outcry and uproar from the Michigan senators, which I believe are Democratic. I could be wrong. Um There was no way that that was going to happen, so I indicated that it could be seen as a shot across the bow at UAW leadership and a clear message to the big three to get something done, but it's not looking good for the workers. Then we said, okay, um, that we've seen this one before because it's literally the exact same playbook that the Teamsters did, right? So 97%, remember, of UPS Teamsters had voted to authorize a strike. Did we get a strike? No, we did not. So this was on August 26th, and I tagged and I said, hey, Fight Back News, I got a question. What's the historical context here? It looks like we're being set up just like UPS Teamsters. Is the union leadership going to sell out? And if they got a 30% wage increase, 
but then keep the 40 hour work week, which is one of the things that they were, that they were trying to do is cut down to a 32 hour work week. So people only have to work four days instead of five. Everyone's going to run around like that's a win, a 30% wage increase over the life of a contract, right? That's not a huge win. Then we saw in WSWS, World Socialist website, they have been very skeptical of union leadership, rightfully so. Okay, saying yeah, that was in today's episode, uh, today's issue by Jerry White, who we have issues with at times, but this was actually a really good article. And that he's adopted a militant pose to forestall an all, all out rebellion by rank and file workers over decades of union back concessionary agreements. He's in discussions with the Biden admin and the auto executives over how to force workers to pay the cost of the transition to electric vehicles. So we started to see this even at the end of August. And there's the article. I tweeted that out and I asked Misty who was looking for stories to cover that day. Well, maybe the, the UAW is preparing to fuck over 150,000 workers at the big three plants might be the story you might want to cover today. I don't know if she did. And then I reminded people, because I remembered back that we've been covering labor and UAW and strikes, and how do we miss that for quite a while? Mm -hmm. Two years ago almost, John Deere and the UAW announced a 97% authorizing strike action. Did the workers go on strike? I believe they did, but at the same time, they called the UAW criminal scumbags. Yes, that was what the John Deere UAW members called their union leadership after the Deere was signed, criminal scumbags for selling them out. So I was reminding people of that. And then Sabi was talking about unions because Ryan Grimm decided that he wanted to chime in on how great unions were and all that unions have done for us. But meanwhile, I wanted to point out Sabi pointed out that privileged people are holding the left back, that homelessness is up, and we've got a housing crisis, grocery prices increasing weekly, and this motherfucker is stuck on the answer of unions. I support unions, but that should never be the end game. What about disabled people? Yes, Sabi, yes to all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to chime in, and I said, not only that, but 90% of the country doesn't work in a union. But even the ones who do have issues, ask a UPS part-timer, we talked about Luigi Morris or a John Deere UAW worker or an Amazon warehouse employee at JFK 8, how much they love their union. Ryan, of course, is virtue signaling and doing the bidding of his bosses at the intercept and breaking points. But then I'm in the UAW and it's fucking trash. We've got people replying. And then this person saying, I think the new UAW leadership is the only good sign I've seen in a different direction. Why? Because they've been believing the media. I think most Americans can't even conceptualize the idea of a co-op, mainly because of propaganda. Because what we're saying is, owning the means of production, we'll work our own co-op. So many think unions are at least a start in the right direction. Except that they're, that's not a start. They've been around for close to 100 years. Right? And and somebody else was like, that's ridiculous. And here's someone else, another friend of, of, of the network. When I worked for the UFCW in Kroger years ago, my own union rep told me about stuff I specifically can't do right in front of my own managers. And he was nowhere near the top of the union. So I think that what we're seeing is a symptom of what's already been going on, is that the people in the middle 
are getting edicts from the top and telling their employees that if you want to keep your union job, you better you better fall in line. That's what I I see yeah, happening here. And I I just like to make a little bit of a disclaimer here because yeah, yeah, I feel ahead. like this needs to be said. Obviously, as a Marxist, I'm always going to support unions. Obviously, no fucking shit. But people need to understand that <clears throat> capitalists aren't blissfully unaware that unions exist. Okay. I mean, shit, look at all of the union busing activities. That is just part of today's life. Um, but they're also not stupid. And a lot of these unions are probably influenced by moneyed interests. And that's something that we need to get better at calling out without having that knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, they criticize unions. That means they're anti-union, therefore the capitalists. We need to stop this toddler brain thinking. I know a lot of it is probably just op accounts and be, like people who are trying to force us into a black and white thing. But seriously, I mean, unions aren't magically immune to corruption or influence. And I think the only way to get towards a more worker, uh, a more pro-worker society is we all, everybody, left, right, whatever, Everybody needs to get much better at calling out when unions are fucking up and when there's corruption in unions and all this. Because these these things are very real and they do happen. And we're never going to get better unions unless we are critical of these things. It's like everything else. Like if you if you want a better system here, you need to be critical of the current system. Um, that doesn't mean you're against the system. If I buy a car and the car breaks down within 20 minutes of me driving it out of the dealership and then it blows up and I get eaten by a velociraptor. What was I talking about again? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> My point is like True. if I buy a car and, it, and exactly if I buy a car and it breaks down 20 minutes after getting out of the dealership and I have a problem with that and I say it's a shitty car. That doesn't mean I'm against cars. That doesn't mean mean I'm anti-car. It just means that I'm calling out a problem within the 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 car sphere of discussion. Okay, so people need to understand there in 2023 there are some problems with unions, and we need to start talking about them if we want better unions. Okay, slash so thread or whatever. The gaslight is happening in real time because I literally just had an alert come across my my phone. United Auto Works, now this comes from the Washington Post, who of course is one of the the media arms of the Democratic Party primarily, but the establishment, the left wing of the establishment that's narrative managing and setting all this stuff about Ukraine and saying that Joe Biden is just star-spangled dandy. United Auto Workers Union launches historic strike at three plants as contracts with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis expire. Now, before we get to that, and that is literally the gaslight happening in real time because three plants, and we're going to talk about which three plants, why, and how how historic this really is. Let's also concede and, and acknowledge the fact that, and this published two days ago, Automakers hand billions to shareholders while stiffing workers. They have authorized 
$5 billion in stock buybacks over the past year. This was also one of the big contentions at UPS was that UPS had done, I believe, uh, eight over $8 billion in stock buybacks since pandemic had started. And these are profits that are a artificially or not so artificially increasing and inflating the existing shares in the market by removing existing shares from the market, thereby reducing the availability and potentially increasing the value of each one. It is designed completely to help the shareholders of the capitalists and to screw over the workers and to not have their shares diluted to increase the stock price. And who does that benefit? The shareholders and the executives primarily. So I'm Matthew sorry, Cunningham, when I first, when uh -huh. you first, sorry, <clears throat> when you first sent me this, as we were talking about earlier, um, to me, at least, it just feels like a power move. This just feels like a giant middle finger to the working class. It's almost like a remind them of their place sort of move. Because obviously nobody's going to be happy with this. But it's like, no, we're going to do this. And and we know they're going to report about it a lot. But we're just reminding them that they have no power and we have all the power. Um, because, like, I can't see another, like like framing other than like just outright like demoralization attempt at this because jesus fucking christ sorry it is, continue. it is literally the owner class giving themselves a raise on the backs of the working class <laughs> okay because as yeah. their share share values increase all right and they're not giving raises or keeping up with inflation and cost of living and then on top of that, rewarding increased productivity. Yes, productivity is at an all-time high. According to this, $21 billion in profits just in the first six months of 2023 between the big three automakers. Now, again, that's three big companies, GM, Ford, and Stellantis. That, those are along the lines and along the same numbers as UPS, who had earned hundred billion in profits since pandemic had started. I think that if, and that's one company versus three, you have a lot more competition in the automotive space. They also make, you know, the big three make tanks, they make military vehicles, they make commercial equipment, whatever. Um, they, wow. And that UAW would threaten our ability to do what's right long-term for the benefit of the team that, but the UAW were greedy. Five billion in stock buybacks. So that was two days ago as part of its efforts to force the auto companies to spend more on their workers. Like it says, UAW has taken aim at the corporation's stock buyback approach, which is great. And these guys, by the way, the lever, founded by David Sirota, not a huge fan of David Sirota. Some of the fans, some of the people here I do like Matthew Cunningham Cook happens to be a good writer. Um, Andrew Perez, good writer. Julia. Uh, they had Julia Rock. She's a good writer there, too. But um, our union proposed enhanced profit-sharing formula that would provide workers $2 for every million spent by Ford on stock buybacks. Special dividends and $2 for workers for a million. That seems proportionate. 
And I just like to remind everybody that like these people would not have a roof over their heads. They would have no food to put on their table if it weren't for the surplus value that they are enjoying from the labor of those workers. Okay? They wouldn't have anything. They're not the ones they're not the ones digging up the rocks in the earth. They're not the ones making the sandwiches. They're not the ones out there catching the Alaskan king crabs. They're just sitting on their asses, right? Yep. And, uh, yeah. So, so, the again, until 1982, the U.S. had banned stock buybacks because it, it was literally considered market manipulation. And then all of a sudden, Reagan deregulates the market, and now it's a regular thing. For the automakers, the latest buybacks reflect an even stronger commitment to speculative payoffs for their shareholders, like I said. They spent $484 million on stock buybacks last year. Imagine if they put that kind of money into employees, into, you know, helping, A, attracting better talent, paying people better, training people more, and investing in American workers. Huh. Amazing. Spoiler alert. They'd actually, this is the funniest thing about all this. Spoiler alert. If they did all of that, yes, exactly. Thank you. You caught what I was throwing. They would their profits will go through the fucking roof. Um, and there's many studies on this. You can look them up yourself. Uh, I'll go ahead and post a couple of them later on. I think, but like if they if they just like didn't adopt this whole getting blood from a stone shit that they're on, like in the and they have been on for a while now, um, they would have met their prime aims and exceeded their prime aims anyway. Such is the hubris of the capitalist class, I suppose. I don't really know why, but like if they just invested, oh my God. And I, I saw that in one of our last companies too, because we did that. We made it worker first and our profits went through the roof. And then we had an acquisition and then the new owners came in. They're like, nah, we just, we like the whole, like, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's like nickel and dime and like exploit uh, the people that are actually doing all the fucking work and let's just do that. And uh, not only did they lose their three biggest clients in record time, um, but mostly people quit. And uh, as of this moment, uh, they are not in a good position. But that's that's just kind of how people roll. That's how capitalists roll in general. They just, uh, they have to stick to that formula, even when they're shown time and time over that there is a better formula to follow. They have to stick to that one. So. Yeah, I mean. We're what are you going to do except eventually revolution? Well, revolution, maybe, sorry. Maybe if we're lucky. But we're talking, you know, th this also talks about the rise in stock buybacks and declining of organized labor, which are intricately linked Right, that because the profits started going flowing directly to the top starting in the 1980s, and all the productivity basically has kept up, but the money has flatlined. And a lot of that is that they were funneling it out the back door so that it wasn't built into the company profits at all when they were profit sharing with their employees because they were too busy buying back the stock with those profits to be able to artificially inflate the, the stock price so only the wealthiest owners would benefit. And, but what they're talking about, again, was that after the 2008 financial crisis, 
GM filed for bankruptcy in 2009, the biggest manufacturing collapse in U.S. history, and we bailed them out, right? But then, and it had already only, it had bought back $20 billion worth of stock over that time in the 80s and 90s. But then, and it stopped in about 2016. They started last year. But because these companies were too big to fail, the U.S. spent $11 billion to bail out GM now. In the end, GM paid always, back a lot of that always. money. Mm -hmm. Right. They agreed to that. They 21,000 layoffs, a wage freeze for workers, a tiered wage system for new workers, a no-strike agreement until 2015, which they got the union to, to sign off on, and the transfer of retirees, health care and benefit costs from GM to the UAW. That was unbelievable. Yes, the UAW is paying the pensions of the former GM workers that the GM workers had profited, but the UAW is the one paying the pensions because GM couldn't afford to pay it. And it was either you guys pay it or everybody's getting zero. Union's still fighting to regain the ground they lost from these concessions. Nobody even talks about that. I'm glad they did. I said nobody except that Matthew covered it. In, in 1986, they employed nearly 900,000 people, and today they only have 167,000. And they only had Jesus four brands Christ. then, uh, five. They had Chevrolet, they had Oldsmobile, they had Buick, they had Cadillac, and they had GMC. Those were their five brands. Now you have four brands, I believe. You've got Chevrolet, GMC, Buick, and Cadillac. Oldsmobile doesn't exist anymore. They had Pontiac, they got rid of Pontiac. They had Saab. They got rid of Saab in 2009. They had the Shed Brands. I I was surprised that that um, Pontiac stayed um, and and not uh, Buick. I thought they would have gotten rid of Buick instead of Pontiac. But and what a resurgence Buick got as a result. But anyway, um, they were talking about that UAW had 1.2 million members in 1982 when the buybacks were first legalized. Now there's only 380,000. Now also what happened was an infusion of foreign cars, specifically Japanese made, but also BMW, Audi, Mercedes-Benz weren't selling nearly the number of cars in the United States that they were in 1982. I mean, you saw a tremendous amount of foreign, Toyota barely existed in 1982. So I would also say that because of the plants for Hyundai and Toyota and all of these other manufacturers that have come in and gone into non-union states like Nissan and BMW, Nissan went into Tennessee, BMW went into South Carolina, and these are all right-to-work states. So all the potential members that could be UAW members that work for other car manufacturers are not UAW members. So that's a little bit of a, mm -hmm. of a, a skew there, honestly. And maybe because they're yep. not automotive people, they don't know that. I know my car history because I'm, I came from the car business. But the recent buyback spree comes on top of extraordinary dividend payments made by the big three over the past three year. So Ford unprecedented $2.6 billion special dividend in February. A special dividend is a one-time payout to all of its shareholders of whatever that money is outside, in addition to the quarterly dividend that goes out. There you go, on top of its quarterly dividend of $600 million. All right. That's because they're sitting on so much cash, and they don't want to give it away to their employees. 
they're going to give it away to the people that invested and give that back as a dividend. All told, they spent over $4.3 billion on dividends. I mean, just the numbers are exorbitant. Right, it's so literally just all a bunch of vultures just surround a carcass, and the carcass is the working class. I, I hate it here. Yeah, we'll Jesus. link this article in the description, but while the big three executives and shareholders got rich, UAW members got left behind, Sean Fain said in a video update to members last week. Great, that's awesome messaging. A newly hired auto worker at the big three today makes less than what they made in 2007 with when you account for inflation. Meanwhile, car sales are down while big profits are way up. And that also is part of the strategy, by the way, of the automakers is they got to right size their inventory and their production thanks to pandemic. It's one of the things that happened um, in the Great Reset was you don't see massive inventories and massive volumes of vehicles sitting on, on lots anymore. Um, I'll famously say that for basically since I started doing this, I have been trying to buy a new, at least a new Toyota Sienna for my family. We leased one back in, my God, it was 2019, 2018, 20 something, 2018, 2019. I had to buy that car out when the lease ended because there were literally no Siennas available on any lot at any Toyota dealer anywhere around the United States. And if you wanted to get one, you had to place an order for one that has that wasn't that hadn't even produced yet at the factory in Japan and wait months for it to ship over here on a boat, assemble at a plant in Kentucky, and then be delivered to your dealership where you were going to pay thousands over sticker price and a ridiculous lease rate. They were talking about leasing Toyota Siennas that go for $500 a month for over $1,000 a month. People were paying it. People were paying Fuck it, it because, because they kept the demand so high that people were literally fighting each other in the dealerships over these cars because they needed that car for their family. Gross. All right. So we talk about stock buybacks today. The UAW announced at noon today, 1251 incredible right up to our contract deadline. Stellantis just can't help themselves announcing that they're executing another 500 million in stock buybacks. If they've got money for Wall Street, they sure as hell have money for the workers who make this industry run. Hashtag stand up UAW. Hell yeah. Yeah, great. Boom. Now, the other day, I'm reading Labor Rag Payday Report. I like I like Mike, Mike Elk from Payday Report. Shout out to Mike. Um, he is an independent and he covers he covers workers, organizing. He's covered the sag after strike. Gone out to the picket line to talk to workers. Get this in my inbox. And I noted the language, and I was like, oh, shit. First of all, Strike Buster Bernie is now showing up at a rally with the union. Anytime they send Bernie in, it's over. And I've been saying that for two years, and yep. nobody wants to listen. But whenever they send Bernie yep. in, Bernie is there to be the uncle, to put his hand over his arm around your shoulder to go, well, we really tried, but this is what's best for the country, son. And that's what I feel like Bernie's role has been with big labor. Because they love him. That's what Bernie's role's been from. I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to be the one to say, I'll just rip the Band-Aid off. People can get triggered, whatever. I'll laugh at you if you do. Um, that's been Bernie's role from day one. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, 
this is like if y'all if people don't see the writing on the wall from by now like i don't know what to tell them i don't know how to help these people now this um, is tomorrow morning they're supposed to yeah. be having this rally in detroit this will help the uaw rally public support as it appears very likely in quotes that the union will strike this week when i saw very likely i knew that it was never going to happen not the way that they yeah. say that it was going to happen so then we have flowery language because from, you never why would they you say never that? give you never put that out there why would you ever say very likely like if you're in a conversation and it's like are you coming to the party if you're like if you're introvert my, like myself and you're like yeah maybe yeah it's quite possible anything other than just yes i will be there you're essentially signaling eh, there's a chance that it's gonna be a no but i can also kind of get out of it because i'm gonna show interest that's all this is it it wouldn't be very likely it would be a fucking yes if this was going to be a definitive like move forward action right and then so this is the article that it was in in an online town hall, he said the union would engage in a series of targeted strikes at certain employers. Yeah, and that was yesterday. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. Instead of striking at all three at the same time, the UAW will instead target specific locals. The union said it would begin informing UAW locals of when they will go on strike tonight at 10 p.m. Again, this is Thursday night that we're recording. This is going to create confusion for the companies. It's going to keep them guessing what might happen next. He's playing 3D checkers, right? We're going to hit them what we're going to hit where we need to hit. And where we need to hit, we're going to hit to move mountains. Very tough kind of flowery language, right? So it's somebody sees this and says, okay, um, Sean, we wanted to stand up. You back down. Strategic strike will not work. This is a game that you're playing with our lives here in Indiana. If if you wanted to hurt the GM pocketbook, you'd shut down the Fort Wayne assembly uh, plant, not the Marion stamping plant, where they, by the way, have been stockpiling inventory to to expect that the workers were going to go on strike to not impact GM, would you believe? All right. This is a bunch of BS and you know it. Stop acting like you care about auto workers' families. You're just as bad as the big three, maybe worse. At least with them, we know what they're that they're about profits. Right. Right. So Fort Wayne has been down multiple times. They were just down the other week. GM stopped production multiple times this year due to too much supply. GM moneymakers are Flint, Arlington, Kentucky, Fort Wayne. Right. The HD plan in Arlington should be no brainers, right? So somebody else deleted that post and said that we're still waiting on our unemployment from the shutdown in April. And that nice. So, Mariah Bigelow, thank you, Mariah, for being publicly and spe- speaking out publicly against this. On top of the fact that they're pointing out the CEO compensation has grown almost a thousand percent since 1978. Well, of course, we know that wages have basically been stagnant. So, mm-hmm. tonight, going up in my inbox, UAW to only strike at three non strategic plants. <laughs> Wait, wait, what? Thanks, Sean. A few minutes ago. Galaxy. 
A few minutes ago, UAW President Sean Fain announced the union would only strike at three non-strategic plants beginning tonight. Tonight, for the first time in history, we will strike all three of the big three at once. If, if you don't see that this is a media sell job being presented, that they're going to end up selling as a historic contract because they signed it with all three automakers when they've never done that simultaneously before. Ask yourself years from now when this agreement expires and we have the brinksmanship coming up to the fact again that all three are going to expire simultaneously. Do you think this is going to be used for workers or against workers? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Instead of striking at strategic plans mar parts markers that could force multiple plans to shut down, the UAW decided to strike at three plants that make some of the least popular cars in each of the big three chains. The Toledo Jeep Wrangler Final Assembly Plant, <clears throat> the Michigan Assembly Plant, which makes Broncos and Rangers, and the Wentzville, Missouri Plant, which nobody was talking about, which makes Broncos and second-tier trucks. But that can't be right. GM doesn't make Broncos. Ford makes Broncos. They they meant a different... They meant... um. Um, I can't think of the canyons, maybe, or one of the, the smaller pickup. With the union striking plants of little strategic significance to begin, it's unclear if the UAW will move to strike at more strategic plants that make auto parts used by multiple plants. I think what they're trying to do is, again, send a shot across the bow. Say, look, we'll strike at these, at these unnecessary plants. Make our deal. Concede to our wishes. And, you know... Be ashamed if some of those other things happen because it's up to you if you want to make it happen. They're just slow rolling this. But it is unclear why the UAW decided not to target more strategic plants. The Biden administration has applied enormous pressure to both the union and the automakers to settle the deal, which we've been documenting here. Again, shout out to Mike Elk for covering this at Payday Report. We covered all the things that I had talked about with this. Stay tuned. Uh, our solidarity is with the union and plant workers, the rank and file workers that are going to get screwed over here. Um, that is that is my feeling that, and it's the writing is on the wall that these guys are going to get shafted. That um, Sean Fain will be just fine. My feeling is also that they don't want to. A, strike 150,000 employees for multiple reasons. A, they don't want to impact. Look, that hurts a lot of the employees that can't afford to live on strike pay of $500 a week. They don't want to have to put mm -hmm. 150,000 people on 500 a week. They make a whole lot more than that right now. That's going to be a big problem, even at strike level pay. Um, I think that this is brinksmanship, but they've already now set a red line, allowed GM to cross it, and are now making a new red line. And when that happens, your negotiation power is completely out the window. If they had shut down all 150,000 and GM can't, and, and all three automakers can't operate until they turn back on, that would have been the most powerful move. And I think it could have happened by the end of this weekend at the, at the latest. Because the minute that money train stops rolling in, all the executives then are fearing for their jobs. And right now, the executives are not fearing for their jobs. 
And when you have management Always and executives ask. not fearing for their jobs, but these guys willing to put their jobs on the line and go on strike, management's gonna gonna hold out. That's what we see with SAG after happening Agreed. too, unfortunately. A great so, litmus test I use personally is that I just ask myself, does this threaten capital? And if the answer is no, then I'm like, okay. Well, what's going to threaten capital? Because at the end of the day, that's what you need to be thinking about. And if you're seeing these largely performative actions that don't actually threaten capital, then what the fuck are we doing? I mean, and that's Sean something we Fain, should all be asking. I mean, Sean Fain, right? You know, came in with this last year as I'm a man of the people. You, you know, your previous leadership were literally criminal. And they went to jail. And I came from the rank and file. Now, there's a guy by the name of Will Lehman who also ran for UAW president against Sean O'Brien and lost. He was supported by the World Socialist website. And I think he only got about 25% of the vote from the rank and file. He did not have a lot of the support from the union leadership and membership, uh, leadership and executives. And still got a substantial portion of the vote because people were so upset with the current leadership structure. Uh, I also wanted to mention one other thing about unions. You know, you were talking about um, how you're a big believer and supporter in unions, but that they're capitalistic in nature. Also, that they are that they are top down and mimic a corporate structure in many ways, so that you have a situation where. The, the people at the top could potentially be paid a substantial amount more than the people at the bottom, if at all, if the people at the bottom are getting paid at all, which will further create resentment. And remember, there's no war but class war. Yep. Sean Fain has been making a lot of blustery statements about executives and billionaires, but what he hasn't been talking about are the middle managers that are making half a million dollars a year to a million dollars a year that are also part of the and problem you... in keeping the workers down. There's a whole lot more of them, first of all, than the CEO who makes 20 million, Mary Barra. That's her whole job. That's their, that's their purpose um, is, is pacifying the workers. Well, that's and, and like making sure that the, that the vehicles get produced uh, and that they're safe and that they have the right parts that are in the right places at the right times. There's look, there's logistics and things that have to be moved. And you've got executives that, that then shuffle around paperwork, phone calls. They have to manage it teams and customer service. And look, that executives also, the people management is not an easy job. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And honestly, I prefer no, being is. out in sales um, than, than managing people. Um, I would rather talk with people and try to convince people why they should be buying our solution or why what we have is going to help their lives and actually do things to help people's lives versus doing what yeah. some executive decided on a sheet because some executive above them decided that this is what they want people to do because X, Y, Z. And usually, guess what? That starts with a sale. That starts with that somebody at the company sold something to somebody else at the other company that we haven't produced yet. We've got to figure out how the fuck to get from point A to point B. 
And that's what these people help mm-hmm. us do. But they do that on the backs of the workers, and then they don't want to pay when they make the profits, and that's disgusting. Um, and by the way, guys, just so y'all know, my takes aren't coming from, like, you know, an assumption. I've actually managed people for many years now, and <clears throat> in every single role I've had, um, from the top down, part of my job has been getting getting workers to feel way better about essentially getting screwed. That is part of, that's at least been part of every job I've had managing people, you know, when they complain about compensation, you have to have a conversation that about that. You have to, um, you know, you have to produce a result for your boss. Um, when they're complaining about not advancing or that there's too much of a workload or that they're not hitting their numbers because their numbers aren't realistic. Well, all of their metrics, KPIs, whatever you call them, are tied into productivity and ultimately profit. So, But it's not tied to not productivity. It's just to profit because, and not even because what they do is they artificially reduce their profits by buying back the stock. And they, yeah. uh, they they artificially increase the stock price again, which only helps the shareholders. All right. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. We got a little bit of time left tonight, uh, about 25, 30 minutes. I did want to showcase because tonight, and I got a reminder, funny enough, I've been on Facebook with my Indie Left account, facebook.com slash Indie.left, I believe is, is where you find me there. My personal account as Indie. Um, and it reminded me that one year ago today, INN, um, and, and this was led by Colin and I primarily, but there was a huge collaborative effort that also included Chris Legion and it included Joe shut the fuck up shit lib three. Now, uh, we love, we love Joe, um, and reef Colin, me, Lucy from blue moon, red wine, Chris Legion contributed to some of this. This was a real INN team effort, and I'm so proud of this. I really am. Even to this day, I still have been sharing this. I still feel this is tremendously relevant. And this is about workers, and this is about unions, and I figured this would be a perfect forum to bring this in and talk about some of the things. This is, look, guys, it took us more than a month to write this article. And the timeline is that we had been watching and I'll, I'll just read the, the, the first paragraph, but and we can watch one of the videos maybe that, that Joe made. I don't know if you've seen these videos, Embo. Did you watch either of these? Because I put them on Twitter today. Uh, oh. uh, I have not, but I've had a really busy day. <laughs> okay, so what I want to say here, though, is that we admire him, his tenacity, his care for the health and safety of the workers at JFK 8, and for the relentlessness that he sustained for more than two years as he became a national figure, which he clearly never sought out. Again, we wrote this a year ago. We published this a year ago after observing what had been happening for the two years that he before he they won their union you know, vote. And then in the five or six months leading up to writing this article, how he had behaved after winning that and then being named president of the Amazon Labor Union. Right? So um, we were... Big fans. And let us start by saying we never wanted to write. Okay, so what my big thesis is, and I wrote this power, this intro myself with some help from Care Bear, 
Over the past two years, Chris had become a lightning rod. He's become positioned by many as a representative of the entire labor movement. Have you seen that happen in the last year since then? And frankly, he may be in over his head at this point. And we wrote this again a year ago. Let us start by saying we never wanted to write this piece. It was our utmost hope that what is happening would not play out this way. However, we both warned against it early and have continuously pointed out the warning signs as a collective network since early April 2022, when JFK 8 in Staten Island voted to become the first Amazon warehouse in the country to unionize behind the newly formed Amazon Labor Union. Now, my, my thing is that the left and organized labor has never done well relying on individuals to carry a movement. They're too easy to tear down and too susceptible to co-option. I think that you mentioned something about that. Personalities are, are always mm -hmm. a bad thing when it comes to organizing. We need to stick to issues. And when we start to put our hopes into people, that's when the media eventually will eventually, when they are ready to, will yank the, the rug out from underneath that person and simultaneously destroy your movement. Um, so we, we talk about the big win and the open letter. This is a very, very long article. I'm going to warn you now. All right. We talk about, and this was from INN News, right after the, the win, Reef wrote an open letter to Chris Smalls and read it on air, basically saying, don't sell out, listen to, listen to the workers, and don't go DNC route. The biggest red flag is the veneer of activity, but the lack of visible substance for the ALU since the win. All right. Very aligned with the Democratic yep. Party in that vein. There also has not been one other facility that has voted to unionize organized by the ALU since. And they have made attempts to organize at ALB1 in Albany. They made attempts to um, organize at another facility in Staten Island, which I think we mentioned there, All right? Shadow Band Refugee was on Frank Analysis talking about the fact that the PRO Act would have eliminated ALU at that moment because ALU was not a certified union by AFL-CIO, but that AFL-CIO effectively, and that's what he had said, was that it would consolidate all the Amazon labor unions under the AFL-CIO. Somebody else had argued that that was not the case. I don't know whether that is the case or not. It doesn't matter because the PRO Act failed. In, in the end of all of this, the PRO Act ended up not passing in 2022 and still has not passed. So, also, a partisan union that is traditionally aligned with Democrats, further politicizing the, the union and potentially alienating Republican and nonpartisan workers. Right? We talked about a lot of this stuff. And look at that. The Teamsters, two years ago, or a year and a half ago, launched a Amazon division. And we had actually covered that on how do we miss that. They had been targeting Amazon for a while. We cover the speech in front of Congress and... He can, how can he claim that it's not a left or right thing, but a worker thing while simultaneously turning the labor issue into a partisan one when it must be nonpartisan to be successful? So here I am again saying that he's really aligning with Democrats and Democratic-friendly media over Republicans. Even in this speech, he's only really addressing Lindsey Graham, who had, insult, who had said something negative, but there's plenty of Democrats sitting in front of him, too, that he had an opportunity to speak to, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's what what happened with the White House visit. And first of all, 
the fact that people missed that he wasn't there to originally meet with Joe Biden, but to meet with the labor secretary and with Vice President Harris. But when the White House saw the kind of PR move that they could have made by bringing Biden into a room with all the labor leaders, he got upgraded and brought into the, the big conference table room. Right? What was he hoping to gain from that meeting? So we spent two and a half hours going through this and um, the AOU got played by the administration to make it look as if they were doing something to help labor. And we've seen repeatedly since then how much of a friend the Biden administration is to big labor. Uh-huh. Like, literally, we just talked about what happened with the UAW in the last segment, but also what they did with, to, the, to the Teamsters and what they did uh, at UPS, what they did to the rail workers in December by preventing them from going on strike congressionally. All right, that Chris basically played and went along with that part. Meanwhile, this person, who I can't stand his nickname, but curious if anyone knows why he went, because it looks like Joe and Kamala were using him to say, see, the Dems are advocating for this when they're not. Right, so, and here's the photo op, and that's in <laughs> Joe's video, Platitude Salad Jack. Right, all that matters is what goes on the nightly 6 and 11 o'clock news to the Democrats, which was the three-second soundbite of Chris laughing, got me in good trouble, and the handshake. The narrative gets set by corporate media once they have their B-roll. That was it. That's the B-roll. You're done. You're now the labor mascot for the Democratic Party. It, that, it happened that fast. They used him for That's a photo op. That's almost an oxymoron. You're now the labor mascot for the party that broke a rail strike. Well, Fuck. this is right? clown city. But also, oh my God. Okay. It's getting them in trouble for supporting them. Well, with their real bosses, we know who are the corporations and the donors. They tell them themselves all the time. They can't even help it. So then we talk about the union busting efforts. This is one of my favorite all-time videos recorded on the internet by Chris Legion over at INN. And he taught, this is um, know what to expect when trying to start a union, the repercussions of organizing unions and all the dirty tactics that companies are going to go to both while you're trying to organize and even after you voted while you're waiting to get your first contract. One of the best videos I've ever seen. It's actually one of the reasons why I invited Chris to be part of INN. I'm so glad that he's back on Twitter now at Chris Legion with a K. Follow him. Hook up with him also on Substack. Great dude. Love him. Yep. On April 13th, Reef and I did a segment on how do we miss that, talking about some of their union busting tactics, literally hiring Pinkertons in Alabama. Right? And then... Oh, yeah, yeah, they hired the Pinkertons. Uh-huh. And then on May 10th... I remember 10th, that. On May 10th, another segment focused on the efforts. This is the other Staten Island facility, LDJ-5, which also, by the way, spectacularly failed, oh. part of which they held a rally right before the vote for this. And who attended that rally? All right. This was an amazing speech that Tristan Lyon, who was organizing at LDJ-5 and was fired... All right. He wrote this speech out. We read it on air or, you know, on the, on the show that night. Um, but that, wow. I mean, so it failed partially because what we, you know, the, the perception is Chris A aligned with the Democrats, AOC and Bernie showed up at that rally is what is my point. And 
that um, he had spent the few weeks doing a media tour after the first win that there wasn't enough infrastructure and ground game at LDG, LDJ5 to the level that there was at JFK8. So it was a foregone conclusion that that was going to fail as a vote. And it failed, I believe, by a two-to-one margin. It wasn't even close. All right. INM members oh, further pointed oh, out some red... Foregone. I love foregone. All right, here's the celebrity and union drip. And this isn't so much my criticism. I, I do certainly think that he is in love with with the publicity and the popularity that he has, and I think a lot of people would be. They covered, is he a Gucci socialist? That was an article that said somebody had written, and Reef and Colin read that. And then they talked about showing up with Zendaya and showing up at the top 100 influential people for Time Magazine in New York City. That was in June of 2022. Jesse points something out. Jesse Jett, our esteemed colleague and my co-host for American Tradition, which we ran last night, episode 28, amazing show. Check out American Tradition on INN if you haven't. He's the network bard. That's oh my God. The way I will say, I will refer, yeah, I'll refer to Jesse that way. He's our bard. He's a genius. Um, yep. So yep. he says, even indoors, the sunglasses became part of his look. It feels like just this wall of insincerity. When you're trying to talk to working class people and reach through to us, hard for me to trust someone if I can't see their eyes. I think it speaks a lot to someone being made a face of the movement. Because once you turn everyone's focus to that person and their own life and their own issues, then if you have them fail, then so does the movement. So I said that earlier. I didn't realize that I was literally quoting Jesse, but I'm not surprised. But we talked about this last year on American Tradition. So now Chris is rarely seen without wearing his sunglasses. And we wonder, is this a bad look for the face of labor in USA that won't let you see into his eyes, which is the windows to the soul? So Jesse wrote Union Drip and performed it live on American Tradition. This was episode nine. Like I said, we just recorded episode 28. Oh, okay. God. Um, on May 25th of this year, we recorded a new version of Union Drip that he, that he did. Um, that was on episode 24. And I think I shared that around today. But here's my biggest contention. Where is the PR arm at ALU? All right. Where is the marketing machine? Why can't show news shows like INN News or How Do We Miss That be able to easily book ALU leaders and representatives? We're going to talk about, you know, and I go into the details. It cannot fall on Chris or vice president at the time, Derek Palmer. That's a whole other mess. Derek Palmer, I thought he resigned from the union as vice president because there were domestic violence charges potentially leveled against him that he pled guilty to in May of 2022. That came out in March or April of this year. <clears throat> but Derek Palmer, they can't possibly understand the media landscape, the complexities of it, and book their own media appearances, and they can't rely on consultants within the Democratic Party and corporate media links because how do you think they're going to position him? So... When How Do We Miss That covered the story about the successful Brookline, Massachusetts teacher strike, one of the highlights from the organizers was a large number of people involved in the constant one-to-one -one communication that was happening among the workers. Each leader was responsible for just five workers. You've got thousands at that facility. So imagine that you had 
a leadership structure that had 1,500 people because each one could only speak to five workers if there were 7,500 there. That's what they were talking about. Now, something manageable, not overwhelming. You build rapport, credibility, and trust with your fellow workers. But since now, Chris now became the figurehead. Who are the people behind the scenes? Are they connected with the Teamsters, AFL-CIO, DSA? We asked this last summer, last September. Are they building an in-house team? They need, and this is my number one contention. I've been screaming this for a year, and they still haven't done it. They need in-house public relations, graphic designers, web design, photo editors, programmers, and coders. They need independent media experts from within the warehouses who view media from a workers' benefit perspective first and foremost. Man, this makes me so fucking angry. They haven't done anything of this in a year. I laid this out. I sent it to Chris. I sent it to their legal team. We've shared this around all over the place. Nobody wants to touch it. Why? Same reason for most of it, really. <clears throat> Lack of seriousness and obsession with aesthetics. Always Expanding the reach of the union, formula. right? So. I mean, expanding the reach of the union to include booking appearances on shows that are unpopular with the Democratic elites may appeal to a large percentage of the warehouse employees. Going on Fox is still acceptable today because it's speaking directly through the controlled corporate media, pushing duopoly narratives and maintaining the status quo. It appears from the outside there are not enough people and or enough money to make this happen yet. And it takes many hands to do this work. Better yet, why should they do any corporate media appearances which aren't 100% on their terms? Shouldn't they be looking to build their own channels, develop their own talent on a self-hosted platform which speaks directly to the co-workers without any corporate spin or interference? Conditions in the warehouses and for the drivers are atrocious. Why not daily press conferences? Man, this makes me angry to read again. Because so little yeah. of it has been done. All right. The fact that they're silent when workers are dying on the job. This happened earlier this year twice where we reported an INN, Colin tagged ALU in something saying, hey, you know, a worker died at this facility. You have anything to say about it? And then like hours later, oh, shit, we should probably put out a statement. Sure enough, you see an official statement put out by ALU. Twice Colin scooped them on this in the last year. They don't have a PR arm then they really need one desperately. <coughs> or they don't feel it's needed sorry to take the most like <laughs> the most cynical approach but right so I was just ask who benefits you know again here we talk about how badly Amazon's treating its workers dating back pre-pandemic and the amount of OSHA client calls that have been going to their their facilities and the fact that they keep an ambulance on site rather than calling the hospital every time an employee drops. Yeah, that's true. It's been well-documented for years that bathroom time for employees is and has been an issue. All right, that's from Faz Shakir, who was Bernie Sanders' campaign manager. He is the leader now of um, um, More Perfect Union, who we've covered before. This is a minute-and-a-half video talking about being in peeing in bottles, and we have over a million incredible employees around the world. 
and have great wage, wages and healthcare from day one. Right, that's Amazon trying to gaslight. But that's crap. So, yeah, there's the uh, undercover author. So we have that from 2018. Warning signs of Democrats trying to co-opt the union. Please, again, go through this. Um, there's so much there. And if anybody decides that they want to defend Chris Smalls and ALU, send them this, please. Send them this. Yep. 100%. All right. Because there's a lot of questions. Hot labor summer. What do you mean? What? That hashtag? That alone was a DSA slash Democratic Party invention. Ilhan Omar. And it's all Democratic Party aligned. They're the only ones that ever used that phrase, hot labor summer. And Chris himself adopted it. They... Okay, but to be fair, they mean hot labor summers and they're hot because they can't afford to pay for air conditioning. So. Right. It, it, it is kind of a really bad misnomer. AFT featured Chris at their annual conference, and we know how badly the AFT is an arm of the Democratic Party. Randy Weingarten, awful, awful leader. Sorry. Not a good union leader, um, in my opinion. Now, here's the other thing that Chris had said on breaking points, I believe, that they lost a vote of the facility, but that Chris claimed that more than 100 facilities have reached out about unionizing. Okay, but I've heard of like four, and three of them failed. The, the fourth one is at ONT8 out in California. They are currently having a vote right now, I believe. But here you go, almost eight weeks later, and well, what we did was we tried to email... Chris and ALU and invite them to come on either. How do we miss that or do some kind of a private, um, you know, a, a separate interview. We want to talk to the people at the hundred other facilities whom have contacted Chris, right? I know Sabby Sabs does too. We understand how busy you are trying to be respectful and nice, right? Almost eight weeks later, he went to California and he responds to Colin and he claps back on Twitter. In response to his photo op with Zendaya, as well as our network efforts to reach out to him, his answer is, tweet less, organize more, stay tuned, it's a hot leaver summer. He's so fucking condescending. And the sad thing is, he lives less than a half hour from me. We could go and sit down and this talk this like, shit out. This is right? like AOC vibes already. Yes, very much so. This is organizing, this whole, what's the like, long This game? whole furry, sweaty energy. Fuck. Right. Well, she is a union it. member. She's also hot as hot as anything. I I mean, she's in diet. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Although he's married with twins. Young twin twin daughters, by the way. But man, Zendaya, that's that's hard to pass up. I, I get it. But Colin clapping right back. I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher advocate for Empower Ed. You know that. Now, in the last year, Colin has actually showed up and um, showed up for P uh, Pashan Brown, who was a an Amazon worker in the Baltimore area that died during COVID after administering COVID tests to employees without any protection whatsoever or any training for that matter, right? So here's Colin saying that we reached out to, to talk by your organization and you didn't respond. Well, I'm busy, so schedule through my Ooh. assistant, Zara. So we did. <laughs> 
Okay, July 7th, she replies four days later. I replied the next day. She replies that Chris isn't available then. Is Derek available? I also sent this to Derek at one point. I got Derek's cell phone number. I tried texting him. I haven't heard back from Derek. All right, now again, from July 7th to July 26th, we've still been unable to book anything. I then give a, we genuinely want to get an update on the efforts the union wants to share. You know, for them to share. We want to ask Chris and Derek how we can help amplify the daily struggle of the warehouse workers. We want to lo- learn, love to learn more about the challenge of organizing individual warehouses collectively in the face of union busting Amazon. We definitely want to work, uh, want to do a way more in-depth look beyond the mainstream two-minute glazed over vignettes we see on local corporate network media. And we also want to give the microphone to the people doing the work in the warehouses and driving the delivery trucks and vans. Totally a reason you would not want to schedule something like that, right? Fuck. You didn't know how bad this was, all right? We we laid out what we want to do for them, but we basically said we will be part of your PR arm and speak for the workers and tell them how bad Amazon is treating them. Here, then. It's almost like they saw this and they're like, yeah, but like you're not completely kind of controlled and so Yeah, we can't messy. exactly. So then I reached out to Angie That's if she can true. do it. Oh, and then Derek, oh great, Derek's able to do it. She she messages me on the 27th, but nobody was available on the 28th. Okay. We had already prepped a show for tonight. Some of our people who wanted to join are also unavailable, but let's schedule it for some other Wednesday at nine. Is that it is an hour okay? We got a lot of questions. We want it to be a learning session for us about what's happening now and how we and everyone else can support. We want it to be positive, conversational, and engaging. What do you think? That is awesome. And that's the last time we heard from ALU. We then spent the next four weeks trying to identify a date, time, offering flexibility. However, there seems to be little to no interest from the ALU in making time to speak with the members of our admittedly tiny media outlet, showcasing their stories or educating the public on how they can help. Derek is CC'd in every email. Zara says she talked to him about this, but as VP of the union, he didn't even acknowledge this two-week chain of emails. Why not? Actually, it was four weeks from July 7th through the end of July. Three weeks. Then on August 13th, I got frustrated. I called out Chris in a tweet after he responded to Lucy on Twitter while publicly ignoring me and other INN members, right? And this tweet, of course, went unresponded to by Chris. We've been trying to interview anyone at ALU for months. Who else handles media appearances and bookings for union representatives besides you, Derek, and Angela? We'd like to speak to the head of PR for the Amazon Labor Union about interviews on INN. No response. Then you have this cat, Matt, who we interviewed and Matt, we had our whole, we had a whole story with Matt and shout out to Matt. If you're watching, hi, Matt, um, Matt got fired and retaliated against. He was originally told by Chris Smalls that they were going to, Chris was going to help him organize his facility, which was one of the oldest Kentucky, one of the oldest Amazon pick warehouses in the country. One of the original ones, I think it's like the second warehouse there was. You can see that he sang praises for Heather Goodall, who I've connected with on TikTok. If you can, if you fo- follow ALU Heather on TikTok, she really is a, a union. She's a leader of workers 
and she posts videos on TikTok every day about the stuff that they're going through, how difficult it is on her hands. She's more of a PR arm for ALU than anyone at ALU has ever been. They should have hired her, right? And then Colin was talking about hood dreams. I don't really want to, again, get into that. That was more Colin's thing. We dare, we certainly talked about the fact that he kept saying, fuck Jeff Bezos and organizing in front of Jeff Bezos's house. And again, this was brought about by Colin, who has been a big student of Kwame Ture. And what Kwame Ture was talking about is that you can't organize around a negative message. All right. The hostile. Now, my, my feeling is, is that they don't need to be friendly, but they don't need to run around screaming, fuck Jeff Bezos, billionaires, they got to go. It's going to be seen and perceived to the rest of the outside world as un unserious, thuggish, and plays into racist stereotypes. And it's also the person that, who founded the company they all work for who does provide them with a job. So it's like, you got to walk a balance there. But our biggest thing is that it does nothing to address the systemic issues. There will always be another Jeff Bezos. Right? Yep. <clears throat> so... There was That's also always my beef with people who are like, we need to get rid of this group of people and then society is going to be great. And it's like, okay, but if you don't do something about the system that created them, you're just going to be playing whack-a-mole forever. Because if you get rid of these people over here, then new people are just going to spring up because it's the same system that's creating these things. You have to address the system. Otherwise, just going to keep, like Carlin said, garbage in, garbage out. Every time. So, again, he's mentioned in several interviews, including one with very famously Hassan Piker. He's calling for a general strike in 2024. Haven't heard him talk about that in quite a while, by the way. But when he did go on Hassan Piker's show in last summer, when he was on his California tour, he was very much about, we're going to organize general strike 2024. Nothing's been said about that. Now, maybe they're, they're organizing and they're, they're doing something about that, but they're certainly not being public about it if they are. Um, what's the plan to build a strike or mutual aid fund so that worker threats to walk out actually have teeth? What are his, what's his plan to educate okay. people on the need for, for, for strike and mutual aid funding and execute this idea so people can be prepared and join and plan accordingly? I'm asking some hard questions here, but they're like basic table stakes questions. Why wait for a general strike two years from now? It's interesting that he wants to push for it during the 2024 presidential election campaign season. Remember, this was during 2022. Nobody had announced that they were running for president yet. Except for Donald Trump. Mm -mm. Oh, no, actually, he hadn't even announced. He announced in November of last year that he was going to be running because I was in Florida on a business trip. And I remember that very well. But setting up mutual aid fund uh, and strike funds take time. There are plenty of Amazon workers who've been fired who are now setting up GoFundMe's or requesting financial assistance online to sustain their living costs. Where's the urgency of meeting the needs of Amazon workers right now? And why has Chris not highlighted that this issue at all as part of his organizing? Right, that was in Times Square on Labor Day last year. Last question, General Strike 2024, what's going on? Oh my gosh. I'm calling for it, you know, as a union president, I'm taking a stance. And I think that we all should do it. Are you guys going to get ready in the, over the next couple years? We're going to get ready now. That, that's not yeah. me saying that. That's Chris saying that. 
Yeah. Se- September 9th, 2022. That was more than a year ago. Have we done, what have we done to get ready for general strike 2024? Our thing was, was that his ask was never big enough. Where are the demands? Right. At INN, we constantly ask the question if the ask regarding policy that forces systematic radical change for the working class is big enough. Time and time again, the Democratic Party are notorious for starting at the compromised position of policy in the guise of appealing of appealing to their Republican and centrist Democratic colleagues in the name of bipartisanship, which always ends up becoming a crumb that the working classes has to unwillingly accept as the best the Democratic Party can do. We've been told by quote unquote progressive leaders like AOC and others. That's tra- shout out to Kit. AOC, I can't stand when he sings that, but now he's got it in my head. Right. Others that, working, that the working class need to organize in order to push politicians to do the right thing for their constituents. But we never hear or learn what organizing actually entails. And then what? Oh, but but we didn't mean against us. But this is where, where we bring Kwame Turi into it again, is that um, he spoke on the confusion that people have with differences between organization and mobilization. Mobilization's easier and centered around one issue. All right, like unionizing Amazon and usually leads to reform and specific actions like rallies. Mobilization uh, is a way of putting pressure on the establishment to do right by the working class. Organization, on the other hand, deals with revolutionary or radical change of the system of power as a long-term strategy that includes political research, tactical planning, and people being unified in thought. We don't want the establishment to just do right by the working class, we as the working class want to take power away from them. Empowering the working class with the means to be independent by t- taking away power from corporations should always be the big ask that we shoot for. And as Ture eloquently stated, when you want power, you organize because you don't want to put influence. You don't, you want to seize power for yourself and you do for yourself what you're putting pressure for the others to do for you. You summed up the differences. Yeah. By saying mobilization is temporary, organization is permanent and eternal. And I don't remember how long this is. Conscious, becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization, something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer. But being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt the most loved he could not become president of the Baptist National Baptist uh, Convention yeah so many of them the National Baptist Convention (laughs) as a matter of fact if my memory serves me correctly now and I remember was Mohammed speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National Baptist Convention 
There was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, King lost. The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. Pork chop minister. <laughs> but he was organized. I like that. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mm. Mobilization is very easy. Very, very easy. Yep. Since we're people who and now apply that moving forward, people. Respond against acts of injustice. It'll click, Anytime I promise. there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost her job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. The unjust. The people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. <laughs> Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. Hmm. We must you, know clearly the difference. You also, uh, and, and I would also want to say, Reef also mentions that unions in, are reformist in nature and not um, looking to change the system. Um, so we've yeah. got, oh, this, this is also, no. unity is not what we're against, but unity is what we're for. Yeah, this is sure. We have unity of action. We lack unity of thought. But our unity of action, I mean, it shocks us. In oh, he's so good. The yeah. Watch these videos, man. I'm telling you. So we believe that the unionization of Amazon is merely the compromise of empowering workers as the higher ups at Amazon will still have power and influence to negotiate certain rights with workers at the bargaining table. The true goal, in our opinion, should be that Amazon workers own the means of production where every employee is a shareholder with personal stake within the company. We wish that Chris would demand for worker co-ops as the big ask that would bring true radical change at Amazon versus pushing for unionization that he described as his long game. But even now, where or what are the demands from Chris and the ALU regarding unionization? What direct action is Chris willing to lead beyond a march to Bezos's penthouse or Howard Schultz's home in New York City over Labor Day? Because once again, that's mobilization. All right. What can they do that acts as a catalyst for radical change at Amazon in the name of its workers? And this was their... Fuck, man. Can you, can you imagine if Amazon became a workers' co-op? That might just be game over right there. God damn. They're a trillion-dollar company. Even, you got to figure out a way to target there. You got to figure out a way to crush the shareholders. And I don't know how you do that with the kind of power that they've got financially now. But my, my thing was, and here's how I close it out, which is what is the ALU beyond Chris Smalls? And it is certainly the members, but Chris can't be everything. And it's unfair to expect him to be CEO and head of PR and marketing for the union. The ALU needs to continue to expose Amazon's unfair and monstrous practices toward their workers 
bad man, you know, bad uh, practice toward management enforcing bathroom policies, for example, that they would never agree to themselves. Spotlighting the number of deaths, injuries, workers' comp cases, the temperatures inside the warehouses on hot days, the illegal management, anti-union meetings, and supporting direct organizing at all the facilities nationwide. Why? So I did want to, we'll close out by um, playing this video by Joe. And this was, this was Wake Up Chris. I'm pretty sure that this was the right one. I don't know if I have the titles on the wrong one or not. This is right. Biden, our friend Careful, Joe. Don't good hug friend Joe. Wait a minute, wait. Okay, no, this is, this is actually that, that the ALU gets DNC'd and showing all the different ways that he's getting co-opted by the union. That's what this one is. So, uh, by, by unions. Watch this. Mm -hmm. Seriously? What the fuck? Biden, our friend Joe, our good friend Joe. You are such a fucking asshole who doesn't care about the people that you fucking represent. You know, it wasn't until we were victorious that we got any type of support. So uh, to have it now, you know, visiting the White House, uh, having a comrade in Bernie Sanders. Seriously? What the fuck? You got no friends in Washington, D.C. Your enemy is laughing at you. Wake up, asshole. I didn't go in there to, to just do a photo op. I definitely had some demands that they didn't play in. Um, wow. You know. And, and the whole thing about going to meet him because you think it's going to elevate the situation? No. No. Not even the fact that the co-option that can take place that we've seen from almost every single leftist outlet out there that eventually gets swallowed up by the establishment. Biden was the architect for the conditions that created the fact that you are fighting like the Dickens that we are all living in right now. Realize that it's not a, a left or right thing. It's not a Democrat or a Republican thing. It's a workers thing. Just because you say this isn't about Republican or Democrat doesn't mean it's so if the actions don't back it up. God, I love that moment, especially with uh, Senator Graham kind of like looking down and shit. You know he was embarrassed. First of all, I want to address Mr. Graham. Um, first of all, you know, you're, it sounded like you was talking about more of the companies and the businesses and your speech, but you forgot that the people are the ones who make this, these companies operate. And I think that it's in your best interest to realize that it's not a, a left or right thing. It's not a Democrat or a Republican thing. It's a workers thing. Just like hearing Lindsey Graham's name, I, I get like, I can feel my heart rate go up. I get like the <laughs> anger start to like, you know, yeah, build inside me. I definitely went off script. I had to hold it in. Yeah. <laughs> the notion that people in the United United in this democracy will outmatch, outmatch tyranny is the oldest American ideal. The reason why we're an independent union is because we don't want to get tied to politics because we're representing 8,300 members that we know are going to have different political views. I mean, I've been on tour across the country. It's been like a real hot labor summer. It's been like a real hot leave of summer. There'll be no peace on this campus for three or four days. White students even be afraid of you. And after three or four days, you will sit down and you'll forget about it. Fuck Jeff Bezos! Fuck Jeff Bezos! Billionaires, they gotta go! Billionaires, they gotta go! Fuck Jeff Bezos! Fuck Jeff Bezos!
Just because everybody's against the same thing doesn't mean everybody is for the same thing. Unity doesn't represent what you're against. It represents what you are for. Now I hear like he is in talks of writing a memoir. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Uh, and a friend of the show, Franco, I think <laughs> also reached out um, recently. Um, friend of the I show, Sabby too. Sabby is also trying yeah. to reach out. I, I just feel like we want sit rep, man. Like where, where's the actual work happening? What's actually happening? What's the plan and how can we help? And how can we help organize and get the word out and right. spread the stories of what's happening in the warehouses and hold meetings offline for workers? We want to help. We have a voice. We know how to run streams. We know technology. We know marketing. We know social media. We have skills that we can lend to this. And we're offering and we're kind of screaming here that we want to help. Of course, they try to demonize my character. You know, they're saying that the union dude is going to go towards my Lamborghini. But they don't know me. I'm more of a BMW guy. But there you go. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't even enough for me to even come to the table. Shout out to Joe, man. Oh, man, that, that video is so, so on point in so many ways. It really just summarizes. It summarizes a lot of what we talked about tonight. Um, it really does a good job to kind of encapsulate a lot of this stuff. The other video that, that's at the top of the article is just as good, if not better, honestly. Um, there we're talking about his evolution over time and how he's hanging out with, with old Democrats and celebrity and what's going on there. But man, um, I'm still hopeful that, Something can happen nationally for Amazon workers, but I can tell you it's probably not going to happen through Amazon Labor Union. They've been fighting just to maintain the vote at the one facility they have already. And to get a first union contract. The minute that happens, maybe they're off to the races and they start signing other, other warehouses to their union. They are helping the... Um, Kentucky, some of the warehouse workers in Kentucky right now organize with the UFCW. They also, again, ONT8 in Ontario. We'll see what happens in California. Let's see what happens with their election. They've been organizing for over a year, and fingers crossed that they decide that they want to vote to unionize as well. Um, you watched all that stuff. You heard me ramble for about the last half an hour. And but what do you what do you think of all this shit? Uh, besides that, owning the means of production is the right thing, and then we'll head out for the night. <clears throat> I got pretty much uh, two main points to make. Number one, um, when it comes to the majority of uh, events, when it comes to unions, I just want people to focus on like okay what's getting done because there's so much fucking talk and there's so much there's so much smoke and mirror when it comes to these sort of things what's getting done focus on that no matter what what are we doing how does it benefit how does this benefit workers what is your plan because if if we allow unions to get to the point where it's just it's just like the squad or up here the ndp where it's just like 
platitudes and kind of demonstrations and empty gestures and all these, you know, like, check out this video of us, like, sticking it to the man. You always got to ask yourself, like, okay, so what is the result of this going to accomplish? And if it's fucking nothing, then taking it as charitably as you can without being cynical, you can at least assume, okay, well, then we kind of need to try something else because this isn't really producing tangible results. And when it comes to unions, that's all that should matter, tangible results, right? We don't want people just yelling into the void because yelling into the void, while it may feel good, um, it's not going to improve your fucking life, okay? So let's try and keep the focus on this. And just a uh, closing thought, um, less relevant, but if I didn't veer wildly off topic, I wouldn't be Snow Himbo now, would I? <laughs> um, I just need, I just have some, I just have some feedback for any manager types who might be listening or for anybody really. Um, if any of your workers complain about pay at any point, um, and your response to that is anything other than, okay, we're going to pay you more. I'm going to save you some time just as someone who's managed before and as someone who's been on the other side also, um, just assume they're looking for another job from the point of that conversation. If your answer isn't, I'm going to do this and it's going to happen. Um, just prepare that they're going to find another job and you're going to fucking leave your ass. Countdown clock. Especially yep. if you're like me. Yeah. Especially if you're like me and you literally got, thank you for the feedback. Cause I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm uh, sorry, sweaty. Uh, it wasn't feedback. I said that because I want you to fucking do something about it. I don't want you to say like, thanks so much. I hear you. I, I see you. Uh, you know, I'm going to pass this along. We're really going to like, think about it. Right. You can think about it all you like. Um, Go to the next guy. If this isn't dealt with, yeah, if this isn't dealt with, like within this conversation, and I feel like more people should actually say this. Like, I know there's like, it's a little scary. More people, we should normalize saying this to managers. Basically, instead of like making it like, oh, well, could you pretty please give me some more money? Instead of that, just be like, okay, well, um, the pay's not great. So, just so you know, I'm probably going to start looking elsewhere. And if you want to keep me, you, it might be in your best interest to kind of like keep that in mind and think about like raising wages. We because need to what's get, it get a cost to replace direct. me. I mean, it's, it's a threat. Exactly. But what's it going to cost to replace me? I mean, a, you've got dislocation costs. B, you know, as far as talking to your customers or the people who, who you, you've got rapport with already, um, explaining to them that you're no longer there going about the process of finding somebody else, paying a recruiter, sifting through all that stuff, dislocating your people's time to interview folks. Um, it's, it's a whole lot easier to just pay them a little bit more and it costs you a lot less in the end. So yeah. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden you've got to, you've got to go through recruiting. Um, You've got to train that person. Listen, right here at my job right now, it's like a revolving door. And I swear to God, like everybody's drowning because they, they've got so much staff recruiting and then training and then like onboarding and then offboarding. Um, holy fuck. Just pay someone like a couple bucks more an hour. 
Like you, you're really doing this. You're dragging your heels for all of this extra effort. Yeah. Just Jesus, it's fucking maddening, man. All right, man. Well, we're going at uh, we're hitting almost two hours tonight. I'm going to give you guys a little a little surprise. Um, I edited down clips from American Tradition Tuesday night, and one of the things that that I put up was um, Outsource which is a new song by Jesse that he wrote last month, kind of in response to the Oliver Anthony thing, but more about coming up with in the spirit of a Utah Phillips type of song. Um, where is it? Uh, I in background playing YouTube. So this should be it. And I'm going to, again, say to keep questioning everybody's motivations, uh, everyone and enjoy Jesse. Um, and, and we'll be back next week and have a good night, everybody. You. Good night, everybody. Have a great week ahead. And remember, nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody wants to work anymore. All right, now let's do this. We don't. Except I just got a new job, so I'm lying. So whatever. I don't. Play <laughs> it out. Uh, hopefully this works. I don't know what's about to happen here. Nope. Look at that. See that? It was display three. It needs to be display four. No. Uh oh. This one. There we go. All right, everyone. Good night. Who are these people? So here's like the George Strait version of Outsource. <laughs> Granddad was a miner mighty long ago in view, who spent his whole life scraping by or left his boots. And someone bought his bosses out and he'd outlived his use. Oh, they trimmed the wage and they hired someone new. And he learned that's what job creators do. Walking through the heart of town, I see my daddy's shop that he shut down when Superstore got put in down the block. And he didn't have a lot of choice to work there all the same, for after what he made, he adds into his name. It's all as the way it is, that's business through, through. And he told me that's what job creators do. Well, I watched a lot of poverty start blooming in this town And I seen too many families out sleeping on the ground When I offered help, I got harassed by Sheriff Brown As he grit that kind of grin that said I'd love to put you down But if I owned a mine and I enslaved them for a crew I bet he'd call me a job creator too They'll tell you that a thousand miles are hungry for your bread They'll say that to succeed you need to step on people's heads Those suckers might be starving, but it's better them than you 
they'll tell you that's what job creators do. <laughs> that's outsource. Good night, fam. All right. Indie News Network, collaborative family of independent content creators. Nice. That was outsourced. Okay. It's a little choppy. Um, I might stick in a different version. The one that he played on. Um, homeless seems to be a little bit of a better version. Uh, my name is Jesse Jett. It's American tradition. <clears throat> and then we got our outro. We'll stop recording and we hit two hours. Yeah, I rambled. I keep up. No, it's all good. I think that was a really good show. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it's it's the all union all the time. Unions aren't always great addition. Well, yeah, because this is like this drives me nuts. Where it's like it's another one of those things where like people are completely like. Psychological it's like this either is a one or a zero, and you can't have another position. And it's, it, 